Welcome to uh, another episode of Inside the Passion of Music and Art, Rhythm and Voice. Where does one begin? I'm here to have a conversation with Addie, Dalkey, and Gil Burrow. We are at the Sculpture Grounds Studio 80 here in Old Line. Just hanging out. How are you guys doing today? Great. I have always uh, admired people who have the courage to stand inside the place of who they are at all times. And when you are a creator, you kind of have to do that. You mentioned the word courage. I don't think it takes a lot of courage to be an artist because if you are, it's something you have to do. It's not, it's not like you face the choice it's something you, that it develops and you know you have to do it. I, I do think I know what you mean. It's not a question of if I'm going to do it. Right, it's just something I have to do. It's like breathing. But I still believe, uh, you know, in this day and age, because, you know, society doesn't really support it. I mean, no one says, oh, I'm going to create art to make uh, a million dollars and raise my family or whatever. That's where you're wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> you mean you, you haven't don't, made You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry, go on. So I wonder, I mean, do people just automatically know? No. no. In my case, it was very specifically, I didn't know anything about that. I had a compulsion to build things as a kid. I think a lot of boys do. Everything, including chemistry sets, burning up my parents' ceiling. That's what I, I did that. This, because <laughs> we thought you could put light of fluid on a washcloth and light it because we saw it done on TV. Yeah. Did that. My parents came home a little upset. No, mine was Miss Thompson, Laura Thompson. She woke me up from wherever I was when I was in seventh grade, I think. I had her in 7th, 9th, 11th grade. She was a teacher. And it's one reason I'm really for art in, art in schools, high schools, elementary schools, that that's where you can wake the guys up and yeah. the girls. And they're doing away with art. This is a whole different subject. But if they're killing the arts by taking the art away. Everything now is information technology, how good are you on the computer? How good an 11-year-old granddaughter wants an iPhone watch because she can then talk to her friends. It's not about creating. Kids are very creative, and it's something I've always felt very, very strongly about, that if we could get them into that as children. It's one of the reasons my wife and I opened this place up to the public, was that we wanted children, and yeah, we'd like to sell things, but it was very important that people be able to touch art, go there, experience it, and then go home and do something. And it just so happens, unlike Addie, I was never very good at two-dimensional art. I felt like somebody had tied my ears back or something. <laughs> but did you start? I what started, dimension did yeah, you begin? Duke, you know, I, I went to art school, and, and it was, it was <laughs> like, you know, I, the sketching was okay, and the rest of that, and again, that was not a very uh, rigorous program like the Lyme Academy. This right. you, we, Drawing was just part of many other things. And there, there are a lot of schools that I think probably I would have been better off if I had a more rig rigorous program. It would force me to hone in on different skills that right now 
I obviate by going immediately to doing maquettes. I can see it three-dimensionally. I don't have to draw it three-dimensionally. Uh, but it's just part, everyone develops their own way of doing the work. But all that. But did you begin seeing three-dimensionally? Like oh, yes. That's just yes. how you... Yeah, that's just the way I see things. It's like I go to the ballet. I love ballet. That's, that's a real digression. But there were five women and I would go. Now we got the husbands into it and, <laughs> and the boyfriends. And the, but I, when I see music and ballet, I see colors with it. And it's sort of, that's when I really see color. And it's seeing music with the color. And it's not, I can look at swatches of colors. I'm not an interior designer. I happen to also be an architect. But it was sort of like, yeah, I need, I, I need to hear the music to really see the color. Cool. It's just the way it is. And again, I want to just make the point that you've got to start the kids earlier. I would have been much more facile, which is not very important, but it would have helped me develop ideas more rapidly if I had started earlier. No one really recognized, and most of all, my parents, my father especially, would not encourage any child to become an artist. Well, that, that's too much. now that's where the courage comes in. Yeah. Oh no, he was so, but I was also the second son, and I was the wise guy. I, I was such a wise guy, the football coach made me captain the team to keep me <laughs> under control, and knew I was, a, you know, I was a glory boy. You know, if you put me in front of 55 guys, I'd do the exercise. If I'm just sitting there doing them, I wouldn't do it. And I was the guy that got off the, got thrown off the school buses. My brother was very well behaved. He, after school, he also wanted to do. And after that- He became I, a doctor. No, 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 <laughs> he became a, he, he took, he never, he went to Miami Law School. That's where he met his wife, spent all his time at the track. <laughs> or Cuba in those days, and went to work for my father. He was fine. I was the kid that after <coughs> going to art school, went four more years at Columbia to get a master's degree, two more degrees. I got another arts degree and another architecture, master's in architecture. And he was so disappointed. He didn't pay for it. They gave me a full freight. Otherwise, I would have never You would have never to go? Never, never could have done it. And, but that's a whole nother story. Who got me there, why I got there, uh, and where you need a mentor. Anyhow, I'm talking Well, Laura much. Thompson, <laughs> rolling back to Laura Thompson, uh, seventh grade teacher, and I, I really uh, connect with what you said about, she woke me up. I want, I want to touch on that too, though I, I do want to get back on the, on the finding the voice thing. Quickly, just because I have something to say about that, if that's okay. You can say whatever uh, you want. You're just rolling. <laughs> Backtracking so we can go forward later. So I've been really lucky to have a lot of incredible teachers over the years. And as far as voice goes, there's there's one quote that's standing out to me um, that I, I had a teacher say to me when I was doing one of my summers at the School of Visual Arts. They said, style is something that should, that should bite you in the ass. Because if you go out and you look for it, or you look for your voice, it's going to be A, it's going to be artificial to a certain extent. If you look um, for it outside yeah, of if, yourself. If, right. If, you're, if, you're like, if your primary goal is to, I don't know how to put this, like if you're reaching for it too hard, you might be finding something artificial because it should be So as be opposed to organic. reaching for it, it's allowing it to emerge <laughs> yeah, from within. Yeah, right. 
And if you're forcing style, which is a little bit different, but I think in the same vein to an extent, um, then you're also going to limit your growth. And um, I, I've really taken that to heart and I find that to be very true because as you grow and develop as an artist, and obviously I'm still very early on in that process, I think you can't really help developing um, a voice or a style. Or Say that again. As you grow as an artist, it, it, it's, it's almost inevitable. You can't help uh, developing a voice or a style because it's just sort of what you want to be doing and how that turns out when you try to execute your desires or your plans. To a certain extent, I think that the other thing about voice is I think that there's a lot of pressure um, for it to be this very personal, very original thing. But I mean, as artists, we're always looking at other artists, right? You know, I mean, we're always looking at the world around us. We're looking at the old masters. We're looking at our contemporaries. And we're influenced by all of that. Um, and we don't live in a vacuum. And so I think the other part of finding a, a voice that, that works and that you can be happy with is not trying to force that originality either. Because I, again, I think that becomes an artificial thing. It just doesn't because exist. everything is derivative. Yeah, ev right, everything is derivative. We've done everything, and so my whole thing when it comes to voice is always just let it, let it come to you. Don't worry about it. You don't need to be more original than the next person. You know, it's going to be original just by virtue of it having gone. Pro you know, you taking it. And it's your interpretation. It. Right, exactly. Don't force it in any way, shape, or form. But on the subject of schooling. Can we get back to this? Okay. Um, go. go. Yeah. <laughs> Roll so, back. <laughs> um, so I was going to say, I, I think like at the elementary and like the middle school level especially, one of the issues we have is that art is very much touch and go. It's like, I never got invested in art until I was in high school. I had a really fantastic high school art teacher. And uh, before that, art was like, okay, let's study Monet for a day. And we're gonna, you know, make this flower scene with tissue paper that looks like one of Monet's gardens. And then we were done with it the next day. It was honestly something totally different. And I'm not, I mean, there is something like kind of fun and loose about that. And I enjoy the um, sort of freedom of that creativity. But it, at the same time, it doesn't really get kids invested in art. It's just like you're showing up to do another arts and crafts project. But you don't really learn to love the art, the people that made it, because you're not you don't learn anything about Monet other than like two minutes of, he had these beautiful gardens, you know? And so it's like, why do I care about this guy with beautiful gardens? Like my grandmother has beautiful gardens, you know? Um, and I, I, I feel like part of it is, is doing that, having art classes be like that, be just sort of this, you go in there, you put tissue paper on a piece of paper um, kind of thing. It, it kind of degrades the importance of art because that's how we come to see it. It's just this like free time arts and crafts thing. And so when people actually want to go into the arts, people are, it's not taken as seriously because it's still kind of seen that way at the school level. Um, like if in middle school, you're like, I'm going to be an artist. People are like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but an artist yeah. isn't something that you, I don't know, this is my point of view, is yeah. that an artist isn't something that someone becomes. Right. An artist is, is. is. Yeah. Right. It's like yeah. you can't say, oh, I okay. want to be an artist. Yeah. Like, I, I, mean, I yeah. am an artist. It's those yeah. teachers that bring it out. Right. That's right. the great thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this, you know, copying Monet is something of Van Gogh. 
is that that's that's more art history than the practice of art yeah the in art studio right let the kids do the art let yeah. them get their hands dirty let them step on the paper let them be as let creative. them experience yeah. it just yeah. do it right. yeah uh, and not always uh, and I, I I had three grandkids and the parents are wonderful encouraging the kids to create things and because we've talked a lot about it I don't want my grandkids to be cut off just with the computers and everything I think there's more and also I, I wish I had done more computer work because maybe I could be more creative in with what I wanted to do but anyhow yeah. just, but you still get back yeah. to basics and yeah. you know once again it goes back How to where do, do you things? begin right. so if you guys are writing if you're teaching at the elementary school level I mean what's the first thing to get kids I mean where do you begin do you begin with draw a circle okay now draw a square now draw a triangle. Now, so. now I mean, we're, I'm just yeah. I'm just throwing it out yeah, there. Right. Each of you guys, how are you going in? How would you go in, and how would you teach at the earliest level to really get? Where would you begin wow. to get yeah. kids invested? You really, my mind's going. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because this is fun. <laughs> I this start is good. because all I have taught a lot at different universities and things, and. I never really thought of going back to the beginning with yeah. the kids. Right. I always began yeah, right. to keep the creativity right. and come out this That's end. That's the thing I'm thinking of right now is, is the how creativity. You, is how you get from get this to. to here where Kilborough was doing some silly project with the students, always hoping they don't end up doing exactly what I do, yeah. which is one of these things you find when you teach an art course and a, and a, a university level that the students if you have them and you're critting them all semester uh, they end up looking like little Gil Burrows yeah. which is not what you really want right yeah right but you know that the minute they get out away from this it's sort of the reason why most uh, college students their thesis if they're an art major the thesis they're terrified to sell it because they'll never do anything as good because they have so much input from the various professors the the, right. the whole crit process it's the way we teach at a college level but you don't have that at an elementary school and that's where we should be putting all the time in all right so where would you begin you have an elevator you know how are would, you guys going to introduce what are your ideas like what's the first thing you have these these children they're open they're already expansive and but you have to begin somewhere. One of them is, I think one of the major things is the encouragement that they have to feel they're doing something worthwhile, which is sometimes contrary to the environment. But I think the kids, in my case, I just started doing things and I was encouraged by Miss Thompson. Right. You know, we go back to her. And I think kids, and I was a kid. But that was seventh grade. So, but yes. And I, I think. The school system I was in had other... I just remember her because I had a 7, seven 9, and 11. And when I was at Columbia, I was on a fellowship in Mexico. <clears throat> and some woman came running up to me, Gilly, Gilly. No one had used that since 6th to 7th grade. And it turns out it was Miss Thompson. In Mexico? In Mexico. It, it was wonderful. This was the topper off of the whole thing. 
Right. And we spent three days together going through Mexico. She was down there on a vacation. and But I at least got a chance to thank her. Oh, that's and I, awesome. I wrote that's her right. something about five years later when I, when I designed, this is when I was at architecture school, and when I would design the building that won a competition in Baltimore. And I sent it, it's, oh, uh, Laura, it's all because of you. And that's what I said to Miss Thompson. She said, now I think you could call me Laura. I had such a crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, of course school, she woke you they're up. only 10 years older than you were. Yeah, I know. Well, let's go back to that first class at elementary school. Addie, you've got a student. This is yeah. the first class, first grade, whatever grade it is. What is the first action in that class that you're going to have them do? What are you gonna instruct them? They're they're yeah. looking at you. They're waiting for your guidance. What's gonna be the thing that's gonna get them <laughs> okay. taking that first step? I'm taking first? I'm taking one step back first, and I'm gonna say if I'm in that position, if I have any power over it, I'm gonna get them in that art class every day, because. Um, Wait, you're you're the teacher. Yeah, I know every day, but as in. Uh, I'm just at, talking at about the, the first at the, step at the elementary school level. I think you, you right now you you are like. Maybe like twice a week, maybe. If. Yeah, if, if, forget if, about so, what they're doing. So, I'm, I'm just talking. Saying, I'm okay. talking small here. Right, I'm right, talking that small. first okay, but introduction, they, introduction to okay. the arts with Addie. Yeah. All right. All right. They all get sketchbooks. That's the that's the first thing I'm pushing because that is a, a I think a fantastic record of like your ideas and and your thought processes and I love finding sketchbooks from uh, not just my own elementary school sketchbooks, but like uh, going, you know, looking through like my art friends, old works and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's fantastic. That's always what you want to go back to is you want that creativity, that ability to just be like, I'm going to paint five dragons. And you know what I mean? You're like once, once you get beyond that level, you're so afraid to do that because you actually want to make them look good. So the first thing is like, they all get sketchbooks. They they're all not get afraid sketchbooks. to ruin. They're okay, not afraid cool. to ruin. And, um, Gil, what are you going to give them? I give them a pile of clay because I'm three-dimensional. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. A, that's and that's a, getting their hands. Way, and I understand what Addie, and I, I don't disagree with it. Uh, <clears throat> and having kids have a pencil and a pad is a very effective way of having them recall what they've done. But I, I'm more interested and what they can do with what they see, not just recording what they see. All right, so you give them the lump of clay, and then are you just going to say, all right, guys, feel it, touch it, squeeze it? Squeeze it. Make sure. I mean, you, just... You tell me the story of that piece of clay, what yeah. you're doing with it. Tell me the story of the clay. I, I'm, I'm piggybacking on that for the sketchbook thing. I think they just need to, like... They just need to play with it for a long time because they got to learn to love it themselves. Like they got to. So get you're up. gonna say, okay, this is your sketchbook. Yeah, make it you dirty. You are going Ruin to it. just do whatever, whatever yeah. comes in your mind. Tear it up, paint all over it, draw on it, rip out the pages, and glue them back in. I don't care. Like just learn to love that sketchbook and don't be afraid of. Like it's just art, so don't be afraid to mess it up or whatever. I want to get that. That would be the first thing to get in their head. Learn to love it and don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid. And also, now we got them to about sixth or seventh grade. I'd throw them, boys and girls, into Legos, 
Lego friends. You know what Lego friends are? I'll have to give you and your daughter some Lego friends. They're really great for girls who are hesitant to build things. And this gets them into building things. Their stories, they're they're the girls talking about things. But I, I'm I'm probably six years ahead of where they're starting. No. Right. You're yeah. six years yeah, ahead of where they're starting. We're still no, with the four, lump of four, the lump of clay. Four years. Okay. I still want to work I want to work with that lump okay. of clay. So now we got the kids. They're pumping out and then you ask what the story is, then you show them how they can create other forms. Yeah. If you combine it with the, the drawing, it's probably more effective. But I've done that with some kids, some friends' kids when we lived in Newton, Mass. And they would come over and they would come to my studio. Obviously, I couldn't have them weld anything, a little, little early for that. Yes. Couldn't have them carve things with big knives and things. And so we'd use the, the least offensive things, paper mache or clay, and just make things out of it. And then tell me what you see in there and the, the story so you get the intellectual and the visual combined. I think that's part of the problem. Education is trying to make it too intellectual, intellectual. and not emotional enough. Right. And we're turning out a lot of technicians, but we're off another subject. I, sometime we ought to do this about education of artists and, yeah. and architects. But well, I, I think that's kind of where the you know, where the ball is rolling right now. Addie, what would you? How did you work with clay when you were in elementary school? Do you remember? Oh, Do you recall? A little bit, like just for fun on my own. Like my mom would buy me Model Magic. You know, I'm talking I, about in school. Yeah, not in school. I really don't think much. I mean, nothing significant. The first time I really did anything with clay was I took a, I took a sculpture class one summer in New York, and then after that, it was, how old were you? Uh, I was in high school, you know. So I was, I was wow. old. So um, not not really. I think it would have been really fantastic to do that because again, I and uh, Gil saying it might be you know doing a sculpture might be more effective with the drawing, but I, I'm thinking the other way too. Drawing is a lot more effective if you have sculpture alongside it. Yeah, I think both of them working together. Oh yeah, nothing exclusive. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. No, I think that's fortunately, unfortunately, ended up in one direction. Yeah. Uh, the and I, I'm thinking about another thing. <clears throat> There's some kids that have some real innate talent. Mm. I don't know if Addy... Now, how would you define talent? I mean, how would you recognize oh, it? Is it just... Yeah, yeah, I mean, is it... That's is a it, mean question. Yeah, that's not nice. I mean, no, no, but I, but seriously. Because it, yeah. it's such a subjective like thing <laughs> in art. But you can tell someone who is, how do you say, well, connected more. Yeah. to what they're doing they're more it's just easier it's just fluid it's just I don't, natural I don't talent yeah i i think <laughs> I, I was just going to say the word talent may be the wrong thing yeah. i was just using an example yeah. of a uh, second cousin uh who was brought up in uh doha my nephew's in the state department married a syrian woman <clears throat> And so he's always in the Middle East and sometimes wearing a flak jacket because he's in Iraq or he's now in Afghanistan. But his kids sort of hang out in Doha. And the two kids are now, one is, they're both in the United States. But the other one <clears throat> that just started here is going to Wells College. And she could not, in that society, 
developed her real ability to draw things because mm. they do not encourage yeah. representational art. Right. So she's someone that has the urge to be in the arts. She's been holding back for a she, long yeah. time. And she can't, and, and even at the American school with a lot of diplomats' children there, not only American children, they couldn't, she couldn't get anyone to uh, pose for her in the nude. Even her best friend, she couldn't get her to do that because it's not accepted in the society. Now she's in this country and all she has is a portfolio, not very well put together uh, on different things and couldn't get into real art school. She can get wow. into, you know, it's a shame because of the cultural barriers. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about that. I go back to my my school environment. We didn't have those cultural barriers. And I think some of it has to be broken down. Yeah. I don't want to get into, you know, is it correct in a Muslim country doesn't do representational art. But these kids have to have some chance to express themselves, right. you know, visually. And they don't necessarily have it. And again, in my art school, in Addie's school, we're going to have here an old line, but she's running out of town. We can't open the school. But she'll bring, she'll I'll bring it back. back to them. Yeah, I'll she'll buy, come back with her new I'll buy up the farm for my siblings, and that's where we'll do it. Awesome. Charlie's like going to be listening to this. He's like, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> he texts Charlie me sometimes. Charlie be a, a teacher. Char Charlie texts me sometimes. He's like, Eddie, this is what we're going to do with the farm. I'm going to build a studio in Dad's old office, all right? And uh, we're going to use this part. You can house some artists there. And he's like, Eddie, talk to me. This is going to be fantastic. I'm like, Charlie, will talk to you later. Um, but <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. It is. No, actually, I have like the I have the blueprints for it in my head. So that's why I don't talk to him about it. Because I'm like, I'm way ahead of you. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm going to restore this house to its like Victoria glory that it never had um no but um anyway that's such a tangent the kids let's get back to yeah let's get kids. back to the kids we gotta worry about the children those rockers save the children no it's more like help the children, help the children. save us oh wait, well, wait, 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 wait <laughs> we were talking about talent yes I we were talking about talent i'm gonna ask you how do you yeah. define talent Abby? so so i i don't I, I i i was kidding before but i was also serious i said i don't believe in talent um but uh, I do, I do believe in predisposition. So I think a kid that shows talent is probably one that just really loves to draw and is maybe a little bit more creative or has a better eye. And so those are things they're predisposed in that sense. And then the talent is that predisposition being um, fostered and really encouraged to grow. So a parent you know, bringing them to art classes, giving them sketchbooks, clay, whatever, and letting them develop that ability, which, um, because nobody comes out of the womb being able to, you know, like, paint the perfect human figure or, you know, But is build, there such a like, thing you know, as, like, <laughs> the perfect, like, human figure? Okay, that, that's not what I mean, but you know what I mean. I know what you're you know saying. What I'm saying. I mean, like, no one's coming out, like... or a beautiful or an interesting or, you know, whatever. They don't, nobody comes out of the womb being able to do something build a masterpiece right away. Okay, so people... I'm going to disagree. Okay, okay. And I'm going to disagree okay, because of my daughter. Yeah, talk to me. Who turned six yesterday. Yeah. But she, you know, her mother's, you know, an artist. Her grandmother's a elementary school art teacher. I mean, she's kind of got it a little bit in her blood. But she had a, a, an easel 
I mean, when she was, what, two and a half that she worked on. And, and she would just lay down some strokes, walk away, come back to it maybe two or three days later, lay another stroke, walk away. But there were times when I would watch her and she would just go to this easel and become lost. And yeah. everything outside of her is just no matter what's going she's just yeah. so connected to what she's doing and and that's how i yeah. would define talent it's not talent per se but when when i was really young i mean i grew up in the village and, and this great music scene and culture and we when we were kids like you know 10 years old and we would hear someone and we would all look at each other and we could say oh my god like he's connected yeah or she's connected yeah. so for us it was just like we didn't yeah. say oh he's great or he's great you, you're just connection. saying it's like whoa it's man. an interesting term connection he, yes yeah. he's connected and he, as because he was connected he was connecting to us yeah, so right. when i see my daughter and yeah she's not creating a masterpiece but to her it's a masterpiece right it, every piece she creates is a masterpiece. Well, can you imagine what she what she'll be able to do in, in like say twenty years? You know, if that's fostered. And so, to me, talent is people like that, and then the result of that growing. I guess that's how I would define talent: is predisposition plus time. You know, teaching, personal growth. So, I guess I don't. I guess to answer your question. Maybe I just I I I see someone like that as as being talented or having the potential for talent, but I just don't define talent as a innate automatic thing. If that makes sense. The talent. It's just uh, a tricky word. I, it is a I'm very tricky yeah, word. It is, and I'm trying to think of it because it's the best example is the it's, issue, and it's also it subjective. People. Yeah, and I, I think the issue is it discourages people. So if people kind of want to go into the arts and they get to high school, but they haven't had good training until then, or they haven't been encouraged until then, or whatever the case may or be. Or discouraged by right, cultural. Or been discouraged, right, right. By, by family or by culture or you know by their peers, then they're like, oh, I'm not talented enough. I can't go into the arts. And it's like, well, you can learn. Or you can, rather, you can learn, and I don't mean just the technical bits, but you could learn to love it again. Or, you know, you like, there's still a chance, and I think everybody can get something out of it at some point, even if they aren't ever going to make a masterpiece. Um, and so that's where... But see, that's where I say everything's a masterpiece. Well, this is your... Yeah. You want to you wanna go into something and, and just rip it to shreds and glue it back together. Boom! Yeah. That's your masterpiece well, yeah, for I, that time. Then I, you go off and make another masterpiece. I'm about that, too, for sure. I just... Um, it, it gets tricky with lingo like this because... You know, on one hand, you're sitting here and, you know, you're, you're talking to us and you're, it, it, you know, you're, you're, we're talking about our, our and the things we do and we're talking about our training. Um, but just if you're talking about someone just going, you know, ripping stuff up and anything is a masterpiece, um, then it confuses a little bit, I think, the value of what we're talking about, what we've done to get where where we are, where we're going. But we're just talking about yeah. how do you begin? Yeah, right. So no, if you I'm, I'm go in as a child, linguistically, <laughs> with a, right. as a child that you're teaching, 
go on, create yeah. a masterpiece. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's not to say yeah. that. That's also part of the educational thing. You give them the opportunity right. to get in there, to play with the paper, to right. do this. And, make, and again, I don't think it's trying to come up with a masterpiece. I don't think that's what you do. Yeah. Art education. No one, no, no one knows how to teach it. No one knows how it happens. Right. It's sort of like just every book you can read on Picasso. And look, it, he's gone through so many different phases, and a lot of art institutions would discourage that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a part of today's art ed education, is that uh, it's like doing big shows. Oh, Mr. Burrow, uh, this is really annoying. I, we see so many different directions you've been in. Well, that's who I am. I'm experimenting. I'm looking. Yeah. That's that's why I'm doing right. this. And don't tell me I have to do everything with tubes. I do yeah. a lot of tubes. And I, I do a lot of spheres. But don't tell me it has to be that. They want you to be like a factory. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I that's one of the problems with galleries and gallery shows yeah. and the museums. There, there is this consistency, and it took them a long time to accept. And Picasso, he was he was sold when he was alive, but it was sort of people were sort of well, he has this, then he has this approach and this approach. I think there is something about consistency, and again, I can I do best when I'm talking about myself. Yeah. And I I I went in my bedroom, and when we redoing things after my wife died, I I wanted to change things around. She died about four years ago now. And I noticed I went in the attic, took out a sketch or a drawing that I did. You weren't even thought of. This is 1965. And I. My mom was it, almost born. Okay. <laughs> and, the, the, and I had a, a sketch of something I called Triscatos, Three Cats. And it, it, it's in, it's in uh, polished aluminum, it was already in the bedroom. Then I hung up this thing and I noticed, my God, there it is, the same forms, the same eye, the same everything. But this is from how many years ago? 50 years wow. ago? Wow. And it's, a, it's, it, it's something in you. Yeah. And again, I don't know if I came out of the womb this way, but I was always doing those kinds of forms when I was yeah. a kid. Wow, that's cool. I think that gets back to the voice thing for sure. Yeah, it's it like, it's gonna be this organic thing. You're always gonna come back to the same things that you love and that you're drawn to. You can't, that's the part you can't run from. And so if you go out looking to find it. Well, everywhere you, know, you go, like everything like, you do, there you yeah, are. Right, it's gonna you be know. in the next corner anyway. You're probably wasting time trying to find it when it's already there. So, now I wanna touch on this, this masterpiece again, Addie. Okay. <laughs> what a fight. <laughs> no, I don't want to fight. I'm just okay. gonna. I'm just no, no. I'm just gonna I make a point. So yeah, it's about. It's a. I mean, I'm like at the uh, <laughs> at your exhibit, I fell in love with your that your self portrait. Not the only one. And <laughs> and as far as I was concerned, of those coming out. No, I'm when I'm telling you, you should do like a selfie series. I I just was pulled into it and I've shared this with you and yeah. I, I just was pulled into the piece and I felt it was just it poignant. It was yeah. just I connected with it. So as far as I'm concerned and any I mean I would have purchased this that like that, but someone else, you know, 
It touched somebody else too. Someone they wiser. gobbled it up. Someone wiser. Yeah, someone wiser and, and was, swifter. Was touched first and had their wallet out. That, exactly. <laughs> Here's my point. To me, yeah. that is a masterpiece. That's how I see it. If I am moved to purchase a piece of someone's expression, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it is a masterpiece. I'm going to put that masterpiece Good. up in my home where I live so I can connect to it every day. And I, it's just, it's such, so uh, subjective, but it's all about your relationship with it. It's, yeah. it's, it's about, you know, you as an artist, your relationship with your expression and how that expression connects with others and going back to connection again has nothing to do with how much you've uh you know your discipline how you've mastered your craft or whatever as skill so you could go back years and and look at some of your early sketches and your early designs and at that time in that place you were creating a masterpiece or part of a series which collectively become just my point is is that that and uh you can go to uh, www.insidethepassion.com because I'm going to have that portrait up. Uh, <laughs> and so you can see what I'm talking about. I just send you an image now? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, people can see it, but that's, oh, you know, that's my you. Mona Lisa right there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm so flattered by that. I don't even, I don't even believe you. But I, 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 part of the, mm, Gonna sit here and stutter for a while. No, um, so I think the thing about that is, uh, for me, it was a pretty successful piece because I was able to do it really fast. It was two hours, you said. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It was like it was a night before. Um, there was like the black and white show in in Mystic, and mm. one of the studio guys was bringing some stuff over. Um, and you know they, they were knocking on my door, and they're like, "Hey, you want us to bring anything down for you?" And I was like, "Oh shoot, that's tomorrow." And I had had like a migraine all week, so I hadn't done anything. So I just like dragged myself out of bed and went over to the easel and did that. And, um, you know, but it was so easy because I have spent all this time trying to learn that craft and trying to master it. And so, of course, it's more than just a technical bit that's important. And you've talked about that and how even when you go back to early sketchbooks, there's going to be those ideas and those thoughts. Um, but for me, there's always, be, be up until now, and even, even now, of course, there's been and there is this frustration when you want to put something down on paper and you can't, you don't know how to make it look the way you want to look. You can't represent the form you want to represent. Well, that's so, the process. Yes. Though. And so the idea might be there. The passion might be there. The concept, the even the composition itself might be, be be there, but it doesn't work. But it doesn't work, and so you ruin part of the effectiveness by not having mastered the craft to an extent that you're satisfied with. And I feel like this year I've made a breakthrough just in that I finally reached a point um, where I I can I feel like I can paint um, almost any form that I want to and have it be somewhat 
uh, close to, to what I want it to be. I mean, that's I need a reference. That's pretty awesome. That's a yeah. huge breakthrough. But I, I'm kind of like, like, I don't feel like I'm trying to use a formula anymore. I'm like, all right, I can approach this object. I don't know what it is. And I, I feel like I can work through it. I can build the form. I can, you know, it doesn't, it's like, oh, I've never painted an elephant. doesn't matter. I could paint an elephant because I can paint a tree. Um, it's all kind of become the same thing. And so that's really nice. But before that, and I, of course, I, I don't mean to sound like I know everything at all because there's so much more I'm learning. You know, right, I, but your so, point is, is that yeah. you feel comfortable. Yeah, right. I feel comfortable. Now I can explore even more. Right. Um, and I can explore texture and color more because I've learned the form bit of it. Um, but yeah, so I guess the thing about the masterpieces, well, maybe to you, that sketchbook page from 10 years ago that I did that kind of has a face that maybe kind of somehow connects to this portrait I did, you know, something like that is a masterpiece or it's part of this masterpiece but to me the the masterpiece bit of it is is losing the frustration i might have had then you know when i at 10 years old and going but that's not what a person looks like you know and i'm just kind of mad at the page so it doesn't have the full effectiveness so the masterpiece is going yeah i can do this it looks like the way i wanted it to look it's how i imagined it and maybe even more because i let that process be organic and let it sort of come into itself um, but so know. what you're saying is that you are never going to have a masterpiece. Yeah, yes and no. No, yes that, that no. you are never, meaning yeah. you will to never. Yourself. To yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because you're always never, growing. Yeah. It's always I'm never gonna, organic. But it's, I'm always going to be getting closer in my own view. I'm never going to be there because that's the thing about it. I think, I think that's the other thing about being an artist is you have to be a little bit of a masochist because you have to be always being like, ah, I got to make the next piece better. And if you're not, then you're probably not going to grow. I mean, I could be wrong. I, I'm not, I, I don't want to speak for everybody. How do you feel about that uh, as an artist, Gil? I, I, the masochism. Uh, you need a little bit because it's... Well, <laughs> there we go. Yes. <laughs> you, you need some All aboard, of it. That's right. To grow. To yeah, grow. To yeah. grow. But, you know, it's also when I've gone past the phase where I feel comfortable where, where I'm gone in life and what I'm doing that you get some of the frustration that you see things as really good. But in, in my world, it's the ability to sell them that is a confirmation, not of my ability, but my, my going forward. It's something because of that. And it's one of the things I'm so upset I wasn't left with a, an estate or anything, that I had to, had to actually produce something it's the it's the I, not only do I I can't just theorize about things I have to build them yeah. but that's part of the internal I have to build but also there's the external that if you want to keep on you know buying things doing more expensive work and everything you have to sell it that's the that's one of the yeah. things that I hope she doesn't get into that's one of the I think that every artist has that issue. Yeah, we talked like, about that. You can't that. do what you just want to do because you have to make a living. Right, no, and that's that's one of the reasons I, I've always had paint box envy. It's like in Europe. Yeah. The, the artists are walking around with their paint boxes, easel and everything. I would have fellowships in Europe, and I would do some sketching and then run up to Pietro Santa to see if I can build what I'm doing then, whatever the ideas are. It's very frustrating. Something inside of you is really craving to get out. 
whether it's a verbal expression or you know you're gonna write it you're gonna sing it you're gonna you're gonna sculpt it you're gonna sketch it you're gonna paint it but it's kind of like something in there yeah. is just dying to come out and express itself like some part of you wants to get out and live outside of you i think um when I, when I was younger it was definitely a lot of a lot of that i just wanted to get something out and as i've grown older it's still that but there's this extra thing and i think it kind of goes back to the connection the being connected part we were talking about like um oh this gets a little bit weird and spiritual but um i i almost always feel like that if there's some kind of divinity whether it be um, really human in its its basis or something really abstract yeah um, that it's something that we as artists and not just not just visual artists but performing artists and musicians um, it's something I think that we feel like we come in contact with and it's something that we sort of start to crave it's something we start to come back to I know I've talked about this my best friend is an opera singer and I've talked to her about this. I've talked to this uh, about this with with other artists. Um, I have writer friends who've talked to me about this a little bit. But like I get the feeling, especially when I go into a museum and I'm looking at you know like like I'm, if I'm at the MFA and I'm looking at like Sargent's murals, you know of of um, you know I'm looking at oh god like Orestes running from the Furies, mm -hmm. you know like that's a like oh my god like it's it's this feeling of like, you feel connected to something higher, like like Sergeant knows you're standing there looking at that and whatever God or divinity or human connection there may be, like it all feels like it culminates there. It's like this like, wow, like this is what humans can do. This is so fantastic. This is so beyond what any other species has, has, has done that we, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a very uniquely human thing. And it's so fantastic. And so that's really, um, I feel like when, what, like, I, you know, so I was saying it, it's that creativity and the wanting to put something down or get something out is definitely how it starts. But then there's this, this is really sort of higher connection feeling that you start to, it's like you're an addict that you keep coming back to. Um, and I feel well like that's stated. a big part of it. Yeah. Very well stated. I, I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, speaking of finding one's own voice. I mean, when I started, you know, doing the radio thing, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't stand the sound of my voice. And yeah. I had, you know, the headphones on. I've never liked my voice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt comfortable with it because it just doesn't lovely. sound, right. pardon me? I think your voice is lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, people say that, but I'm I don't. And the funny thing was, you know, I tried to get people on the show and, oh, I don't like the sound of my voice. And, be like, hey, look, I don't like the sound of my voice either. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but you have a great voice. I'm like, I don't hear it like you hear we don't, it. Yeah. No, we, none, right. of us, none of us do. Yeah. yeah, and I've talked about this uh, you know, with other people in other episodes, but the, I had the headphones on. The only way I could, I learned to block myself out and only hear other people. Mm -hmm. So I became a really good listener. Yeah. Because I was intently listening to them, and even as I was speaking, I was listening to them. So, um, 
And the only time that I did like my voice, and it wasn't really liking my voice, and this goes back to kind of the connected thing, is our friend Dan Stevens was in town. He says, Lamont, I'm just going to play something, and you're just going to sing something. So I'm just going to play something. And then I just started making up these, like, lyrics on the fly about, like, you know, just the beauty of the, of the, the topography of where we live, where we call home. Yeah. And it just kind of came out and came kind of natural. And afterwards, I felt this natural high. Yeah. I felt high. And I didn't, it wasn't because of the sound of my voice, because I blocked out the sound of my yeah. voice. It was how I felt. You're creating something. Yeah. When I was singing, I could feel the vibration. Yeah of how I felt and right. I was high. Yeah. I was so high yeah. that I wanted to do it's like I want to feel this good again. Yeah. Yeah. This feels good. And I'm you sure it's go. like him sitting there with the guitar too, like that whole experience I'm sure it was just Right, because you're connecting with him. Right. We're having this dialogue. Right. But at the same time, I'm I, I was connecting with my soul and with my with my with my own Yeah. Like not even hearing my voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was cool. That's all right. But yeah. I think that's what you were talking about when you talk to other writers and performing artists and so on and so forth uh, about that feeling. Yeah. About that feeling of... Yeah, on that connected level. Yeah, on, on a connected level. Yeah. And uh, you said about the di- Well, I, I kind of prompted you and then you said, yeah, that dialogue... Um, I'm talking about the guitar and all that, and, mm. I, and then I was thinking on that while you guys were talking, and I was like, man, that's that's such a big part of it. I think even in even in the visual arts and uh, you know where where it's such a solitary thing, um, relatively solitary to like the performing arts, um, there's still I think that dialogue because it's a it's a dialogue with yourself, it's a dialogue with your work, and then on a really uh, like a human level, it's you're always conversing with with your contemporaries and with the artists of the past, even if not not verbally. And I think that's one of the reasons I've really, really gotten into art history this past year is I feel like I'm having that dialogue. So when I'm standing at my easel in my head, I'm I'm thinking about Reynolds. I'm thinking about Van Dyke and I'm I'm thinking about what they did and why they were doing what they were doing and what they'd be saying to me if they were standing over my shoulder. Oh cool. And um I, I, I think that dialogue, it, it helps to ground you. It, it, yeah, it helps for you to learn, but it also really just adds to that human experience of it. I love that. That's interesting that you can't have that dialogue. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm standing there, and I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of paint on my paintbrush, and I'm hearing Sergeant go shovel it on, um, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> More paint. Yeah, more paint, more paint. None of this thin. Half tones. Nothing just pasty. It's all in the half tones. Um, (laughs) No, but um, yeah, no, totally. And I I think that's the museum thing too. Is and I even you know so we have musical masterworks down the road. Um, uh, Do you ever go to that? Yes, yes. I love that. And I think it's there too. Is you're you're standing and you're you're listening to what these fantastic composers imagined and what they created and it's it's that dialogue it's just being able to think about it and hear what they're saying and also then the new interpretation of it so those those musicians playing it but like that's that's such a fantastic thing about the arts is it's just it adds there's like a level of immortality to to the creation and so you know you can still talk to beethoven 
when you go and you listen to that and I can still go and I can I can awesome. you know I can talk to uh, Caravaggio not that I'd want to I'd be afraid to bash my head in he was a violent guy uh, but you know you can go you can stay in a museum you can talk to them and that's fantastic and I think as an artist uh, feeling that feeling that connection and getting something like that out of the arts it's not only is it that you want to go back and feel that, but you also feel like there's a compulsion to give back what it gives to you in that sense. That's really cool. Well, well said. Well said, and I think the other thing about the musical masterworks, having, so having followed through on Picasso's steal if you see something good. You should only steal from good people. Yeah. It's acceptable. So I've stolen from them and my new series is the Musical Masterworks series. Well, so I keep thinking the, about them is because you said I, that. I, I, I give like, them oh, yeah. full credit. That's where I came up with it. I have three pieces in the series. I can do one of something. Three I of can something. do three. Five. I can do five, seven, nine, everything. And if you just look at just two things together, it doesn't look mm. right. When I started this podcast series, I, I really prefer the dynamic of three. Yeah. yeah. Asymmetry is great, I think, yeah. in, any, in any form. In, in any especially form. if everyone can respect what the other person's saying, yeah. so they're not over each other. Right. right. And But yeah. you, the different perspectives that the three of yeah. us have, I mean, yeah. how we see things differently, how we, yeah. you know, play off of yeah. what we say, that dynamic, yeah. I think is priceless. I think one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. it's, it's a weird... It's a weird thing. It takes a little longer yeah. to develop, but once you hit it, you're there. You know, that's the thing. Whereas with three, the dynamic, we go so many places so yeah. quickly. Oh, it's so fun. And I, you know, I keep hearing Bill say something and I'm like, oh man, that reminds you of a thing. And also it's just, for me, it's fun. I'm getting to learn from you guys. I'm the baby in the situation. Well, we're learning from so you, funny. man, which you just reeled off. Great. I was like, whoa, Can man. I ask you to take a little time out? I'm going to hit the head. Welcome back to Inside the Passion of Music and Art, Rhythm and Voice. Gil Burrow just received uh, a phone call. The voice on the other line was the bearer of some pretty good news. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, for about... But two, two and a half years, I've been wanting to do a series of sculptures which would somehow produce music. And I think everyone has seen Solari bells, where there's a bell and it could be a cylinder and there's a gong inside. I'm going to take that idea to more three-dimensional area. And I've been uh, going around to dive shops to get scuba tanks, use scuba tanks, because after a while, they're no longer suitable for refilling. The reasons I'm not sure of. And now I was just notified by a place called Air Gas in Waterford that they have nine large tanks available for me. So that means, and I've been thinking about all this and accumulating these other six tanks, that in about another year, I start that sculpture. I'm usually thinking about things six months to a year ahead of time. Uh, and I think in our schedule here, we're going to start that in about a year. I'm so two and a half years ago was when you first had the idea. And it'll be another year before I really You begin to realize it. Unless I can figure out some way to substitute the time, uh, because there'll be another 
things when I wake up in the middle of the night. It's the whole creative process, mm -hmm. which is basically, uh, I think I do most of my design work when I'm up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of the nice things about moving here to Bold Lime, where my studio is only about 150, 200 feet away from the house, that uh, in the middle of the night, I don't do a lot anymore uh, for various and sundry reasons, but I used to go down to the studio in the middle of the night uh, and come back. As my wife uh, would say, she would tell her friends, if he ever leaves me, he's only moving 150 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely confident. Oh and it lasted for 48 years. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, but it's, it is the creative period. Uh, and also, when no one else is around, I find I need to have the, the silence. You like quiet time. I need quiet. So give us a little history lesson on right. masterpiece, okay. since that's been oh, a big word see, today. See, now you're putting pressure on me. I don't want like, to put pressure. She well, said it off. The, yeah. you know, when we took our little break, man, she started telling me. I was I like, know. yeah, save it, save it, save it for the cast. Well, the thing is, now, as soon as, now that I'm, I'm, I'm saying this on record, someone is going to be like, oh, Addie doesn't know their art history. That's totally wrong. But no, I think I think this is right. You create. I just, uh, well, this is I can't, I this can't is Addie's interpretation. I can't okay. cite my sources. Off well, the top we of my we can head. call it an interpretation that will. Well, yeah. Okay. Right. Maybe I dreamt this. No, I read. <laughs> see, I read a lot of art history books, and so it all just kind of meshes together at a certain point. But so at one point, um, the term masterpiece referred to. Oh wait. Well, yeah, okay. So I got to back up. So the way I was starting to tell us is, so if you were an apprentice in someone's studio way, way back when. So say you were Van Dyke in Rubin's studio in 1600s. You would be working under Rubens and you would be basically painting his paintings. So if he got a big commission for some church, you would be trying to emulate his style. And if you were just one of the lowly apprentices, you might paint the grass. And if you were Van Dyke, then maybe you got to paint the hands. And then Rubens would paint the face, you know? So that was what you would do. Um, but for years before that, you would be like riding pigment and sweeping floors. And so you weren't really doing anything. You were just watching the master and learning by emulating their style. Oh my God, that gets on a totally another thing about developing voice, but okay, so anyway. Um, so uh, eventually, of course, you would wanna go off and do your own thing, right? And so to do that, uh, you'd have to get permission from the guild. Um, because the guilds controlled who could like set up shop, basically. Who could be a painter, who could be a sculptor in this town. And um, so you would create your masterpiece to prove that you had mastered the craft. And that was how you would establish yourself as an independent artist. Excellent. So to prove that you have mastered yes. your craft. Your master's craft. So that would be like a thesis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it wasn't even like the best piece you ever made, it was the piece that proved you were a master at the very beginning of your masterdom. Right. Your it was your entry a, right, exactly. to masterdom. Yes. It was your key. Yes. Well said. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for listening. Uh, thank you, Gil. Thank you, Addie. We've been, uh, hey, I could sit here all so afternoon and just, just chat. So many it's wonderful rainy things day. came out. Why not do it? Right? Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you. All right. Alrighty. Peace out. Hey, it's Lamont of InsideThePassion.com. Thanks for listening. If you haven't had an opportunity to check out our website, InsideThePassion.com, hit it up. Each episode is supported with a dedicated web page with photos and links. And you can also browse some of the other categories, brew, music and art, or rhythm and voice at InsideThePassion.com.